each week we cover about two to three Proverbs. And it just so fell that tonight where it landed, what we're talking about, where we're, the focus was, was friendship. And if you were going to look at it, at what's the purpose of tonight? What was the, what, you know, on a typical Saturday night? The purpose here is to give you God's perspective on friendship. That's what I'm hoping to do. I've looked at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and looked at Proverbs. And what does God have to say about friendship? And how does he view friendship? And how is it different compared to what we're used to? And that's what I'm hoping to cover. And do it in a short period of time because I think most of us ate a ton of turkey. And if I see some of you falling asleep, I won't be offended, you know. And so it's like the worst pastor nightmare. You know, people eat for like two hours and have tons of fun and then they got to sit down and listen to you. So um, that's like worst case scenario, you know. It's like being a school teacher. So uh, we'll pray really quick and, you know, I'll, I'll try and keep it brief tonight. And it's been great just seeing a lot of you and meeting some of you for the first time tonight. And, you know, grateful to be here. So you will join me in prayer, and then uh, let's take a look at friendship. What God has to say about that? <clears throat> well, Lord Jesus, thank you for friends here tonight. I just looking looking out tonight. I've got friends here that I've known for 30 years of my life. I can remember bumbling up here to Mammoth when I was 18 years old, and just bumping into guys like Tom, Tom Long, and Phil Heigert, and Steve Shipley, and others that Lord have been in my life, been in my weddings, been uh, at the birth of my children right here. Mammoth Hospital, all kinds of crazy things, Lord. And um, So thank you for friendships, and thank you for everyone here tonight, neighbors and um, people close to us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when you're in, a, if you go to graduate school or if you want to pursue a doctorate, one of the things they make you do is write a thesis, and they make you, to do that, you have to have a thesis statement. And I was thinking tonight, uh, I just made one up this last week. A typical thesis statement is that you'd say something like, you know what, if we made the speed limit 50, we'd reduce the amount of deaths on the road. And then you'd have like little subpoints to those theses. So you'd say, let's, let's make the speed limit 50. Let's repave the roads every two years. If we did that, there'd be even less accidents. And if we put the third little point, if we put speed bumps in the mammoth trails in different areas, it would reduce the amount of kids that got hit. So then those would be your thesis statements, and then you would go out and do research on it and find out if that were true. You'd look at countries where the speed limit's 50, and you'd find out how many deaths do they have versus Nevada where it's 70 or, you know, and you'd do this kind of research. But the point would be these thesis statements, that you're making a statement that you think is true, and then other people either get to argue with you or they have to wrestle through it. Well, tonight, in that that whole idea, I wanted to make three statements thesis type statements about friendship after having studied it in the Bible. And the very first one is that friendship is the highest form of relationship in the Bible. You can argue against this. You just can't do it right now. But um, the one is that it is the highest form of relationship there is. Period. So higher than employee to employer, husband, wife, dictator, to little peasants, all the thing about all the different relationships there are in the world. Highest form is friendship. So that's point number one. Number two is that your most meaningful moments, if you were to die tonight, and we said, all right, you're going to die in the next five minutes. John, give us your top five most meaningful moments in your life. I'm going to say every one of them involve a friend. Your most meaningful moments would involve a friend. 
And the third one is, is that the greatest gift you can give anybody is friendship. So those are the three thesis statements, and you have to think about it. And if you're thinking, as I may have been, and I'll say in our time and culture, we have Facebook, we have Twitter. I know, I think on Facebook I have like 3,800 friends. Friends. The Bible doesn't even have a word for that, really. If you look through the New Testament, what we call friends, they have, this, they have a Greek word. I had to write it down. Um, it's called hetarios. It's used once in the entire New Testament. And that's typically what we call friends. It's really a better word for us today would be acquaintance. And I, you know, I had to look it up because I use it all the time. Like, oh, I've got many acquaintances or so-and-so is an acquaintance. Acquaintance means that they don't really know you very well. The actual definition of it means that they know you slightly, but they don't know you well. And so where the Bible has a whole nother word, in the New Testament they use a whole nother Greek word for it. And the word always begins with this root that is P-H-I-L, just like Phil. So like philio, that would be the Greek word for friend that they use. And it always means that there's A, love involved, and B, it means that there's a much greater, richer depth to it. It's a whole different concept, whole different word. And so they switch the words. It's almost like if we came here tonight, we have one idea what a friend is. They're going to give us a whole nother one. And so I broke it down into three parts. I want to give you those three parts. And then for the rest of the week, you can think about, do you think those are true? And how do you live up to them? And how are you currently living them? And so... The very first one is just that change in perspective. I love the root of the word for friendship in the Bible means that you and I would treat somebody else as though they were our people. It's a whole nother, when they use that word, if it says in the Bible, hey, you are my friend, it means that I will treat you just as though you and I were the exact same people, that you were part of my family. And I thought about, like, wow, how cool that is. Some of my, my you know, most long-lasting friendships here, one of them, just because I was talking to him last night, like, I've known Tom now for over 25 years, Tom Long. And I remember when I first met him, I was teaching snowboarding up here and trying to be a snowboard racer and things. And Tom would invite me to these men's uh, prayer gatherings they had in his office. And, I, you know, I, Christianity was, like, so far off my radar, I can't tell you. And I would go there at 6 a.m., with these men, and they'd be praying at 6 a.m. in the morning, and I would sit at the table and be wondering, what are they doing? Like, what are they talking about? But what I did know was that Tom was treating me as though I were one of his own. He was treating me like I was a Tom Long's son. And I thought, wow, that's the beginning of a friendship, is that people are treating you as though you're family and giving you that immediate consideration. And then that jumped to... The next part, which as we've gone through Proverbs, Solomon, and again and again, is trying to define for his sons and his kids what friendship is. And I just wanted to give you some of them tonight, because in the chapters we were in, they were all about friendship. And there's such little short statements that you can just nod if you think they're true. So his very first one was, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times, and kinsfolk are born to share adversity. So think about your closest friends that you've had in your lifetime, 
And would you agree with that statement? Are they people in your life that love all the time? No matter what you've gone through, what you've done, they love you. That's true in my life. That was one. This is the exact same chapter, just a couple Proverbs down. He says, one who forgives is an affront that fought, one who forgives, uh, one, sorry, one who forgives an affront fosters friendship, but one who dwells on disputes will be without a friend. Ooh. They're true, aren't they? Like if you forgive an affront, you're going to draw your friend closer to you, but if you dwell on it, you lose him as a friend, don't you? So I was making a list. If you had a pen, you could make your own. But uh, the very first one was that, yeah, a friend loves at all times. The most famous friendship in the Old Testament is between King David and the, Saul of his, and the son of his enemy Saul named Jonathan. And Jonathan had to gamble his life to remain David's friend. And they not only were friends during their lifetime, but when David then superseded his father many years later, Jonathan had a handicapped son. And David went to him and said, you know what, from now on you will eat at my table. And he was poor because he'd been this outcast enemy because David's enemy was the former king. And so when David took power, this poor guy was ostracized in their society. David goes to him out of his friendship to Jonathan and says, no, from now on you'll be royalty. From now you'll be part of the wealthiest circle in this entire country. So he loved his buddy in life and in death, and they both did no matter what. And they forgive the fronts through their whole relationship. So it was like, wow, those are two of the most famous. In fact, the New Testament, a lot of the, you know, even the books that we read, you think about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark. There's Mark in the Bible. Well, Mark and Paul didn't get along. Paul didn't have value for Mark in the early parts of their friendship and relationship. If you read through the history of the early church, at one point Paul says, you know, I, I, you know, basically like he's too young, I can't take him with me. He's not, we're not getting along. And then in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter that he ever write, at the end of it, he says, oh, by the way, please send to me Mark. And there had been a restoration of forgiveness that had happened in their own relationship that brought those two together. The third one, uh, in the very next chapter in Proverbs, in 18, it's probably my favorite. In verse 18, verse 24, it says, Some friends play at friendship, but a true friend sticks closer than one's nearest kin. Mm. Would you agree? If you think about your longest friendships, your closest friends, would that not be true as well? It's something you can't play at. It's something that requires intentionality over time and time and again is, wow, how am I going to... And so he's saying, wow, you know what? The marks of a true friend is going to be someone that loves you no matter what. Someone that forgives things, forgives you when you affront, when you do something wrong, when you do something to hurt them. They're going to forgive you. They're also someone that's not going to play at it. But they're actually going to be serious about being your friend, like loving you long term. And in the very last chapter that we were reading this week, it says, many proclaim themselves loyal, but who can find one who's trustworthy? 
And it was like, wow, those are the other two dimensions. Like Solomon says, you know, if you want a good friend, they're going to be someone that's going to love you all the time. They're going to forgive you. But you know what? They're going to have to be loyal to you. And they're also going to have to be trustworthy. Not going to talk behind your back. They're going to be there when you need them. And they're going to be someone that you can trust over time. Those will be marks of a true friendship. But you know, Jesus takes it one step further. In John 15, he makes the most, the craziest declaration in the Bible. And in John 15, he tells his disciples, he says, in verse 12, he says, This is my commandment that I give to you. This is towards the very end of Jesus' life. He says, But that you would love one another as I loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friend if you do as I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. So he says, the greatest example of love is as a friend, if you'll lay down your life for somebody else. And so he adds this extra dimension that to be a true friend of somebody, it's going to require sacrifice. If you're going to be someone's friend for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, in the end of it, it's going to require a ton of sacrifice on you. Sacrifice in time, money, energy, patience, emotions, frustrations. You're going to watch them do things that you don't want them to. You just go through all those things. And Jesus says, you know, all those are part of being a real friend. Those are the things that are going to define a friendship. And, you know, I, uh, if you haven't read it, it's a great book. I, I hand it out to high school kids like candy and stuff because it's just a deep book to think about. And they made it into a movie. They called it Everything Illuminated. And you see the movie? Movie's average. Movie doesn't even match up to the book. They can't, it was too hard to try and translate into a movie. The book is phenomenal. And it's, uh, it, but it's written by a young guy. It's young, so there's a lot of language and different stuff, and it's edgy for those of you. But at the end of the book, it's all about a, a young guy that goes to see where his granddad was during World War II, and his granddad was Jewish. And he goes to the village where he was raised. And the whole book culminates with them dragging the village in 19-whatever, 42, dragging the village out, and his best friend was Jewish. His grandfather's best friend was Jewish. They lined him up, and the Jewish general said, this religion of yours is ridiculous, and I want you to denounce it now to even remain in this town. And if you don't, I'm going to shoot you. And he started at the beginning of the line, like four or five of the, the, you know, the people in the little community. Immediately, he, what he did was he had them lay out their Torah, which if you've ever been to a Jewish service, Torah is the first five books of the Bible, but they carry it in a big scroll, and it means everything to them. And they march it around in a synagogue service. They, if we were here tonight, you'd march it around and you'd all press your prayer shawls against it or you'd kiss it. it extreme reverence. Well, they lay the thing out in the street and they want the people to spit on it to show that they denounce their faith. Well, most of them do it because they get, you know, it's, they line up all these people. They're going to kill their families if they don't. So most of them do. But they get to this one guy and it's his friend. And his friend says, no, I won't do it. And the, the general starts to scream at him and say, you either do it or I'm going to shoot you. And the guy's like, I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. So the guy ends up shooting him, shooting his wife, pregnant wife. And he's haunted for the rest of his life for the lack of sacrifice he made for his friend. And it's one of those, like, when I finished the book, and it, it makes you think, like, wow, 
Friendship does require so much sacrifice, but if we don't make the sacrifice, are we haunted more in the end for it? That's sort of the message of the book. Is like, ooh, do we... Yeah, we'll require sacrifice on our part, but are we haunted if we don't make it in those relationships? You know, that's the somewhat question that we're left with. And so those are the two parts. And, you know, those are, that's the core. Those are some of the elements of friendship, the perspective and the marks of a biblical friendship. And, you know, my challenge tonight was to everyone, beginning with myself, is could we be that kind of friend to other people? Could we be, live up to that kind of friendship and be that to somebody in our lives? And, you know, the, the last one is, where does it begin? Where does it start? And I shared this with the last Saturday night group, but if you start in Genesis and you just read all the way through the Bible, every major moment begins with a meal. And Jesus, one of the things he did most, if you study the Gospels, is he ate with people. Again and again, he eats with people. And it starts way back, I love it, Genesis 18, Abraham comes to, or God comes to Abraham. And Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they've been unable to have kids. And he's gone about other means to have kids, but he still doesn't have one from his wife, Sarah, who'd been promised. Now they're way older in age. And God comes and visits him. It's one of my favorite pictures in scripture because it says that they sat underneath an oak tree and ate a meal together. Like just that picture of God having a meal and just talking to people like, wow, man, this has been hard. Your wife hasn't had a kid. And, you know, like you could imagine the conversation, right? When you spin forward to the New Testament, you get the exact same similar picture. I love it. Jesus goes and he calls his first disciple. One of his first disciples is Matthew, a tax collector. One of the most hated type people in that time and era. And we hate tax collectors today. 2,000 years ago, when they knocked on your door and dragged you outside, they hated him even more. Um, you know, and so there was this, argh. first one he calls is a Matthew. And the very first thing they do, he has all of Matthew's buddies over and he goes and has dinner with them. It begins with a meal. And all friendship, at some point, has a meal in it. And it's a great place to start. And I read this quote this week. I went and found it in an old journal. And I'll just close with it here tonight. But um, it's actually back-to-back two quotes that are connected to it. But I had a job in San Diego years ago working at this factory. And there was a, our, the woman that was secretary for it. Really tough lady. She was just, uh, I'll say she was a larger gal, didn't like herself, was angry at other people. And no one, just people avoided her. And I was one of them. I just, it was easy for me, already somewhat of a quiet guy. I could just walk right by her, go back and do my work. And then it just started to build my heart like, you know what? I need to talk to Jen. I need to get to know Jen a little bit. And I tried a little bit here and there, but it just didn't go too far. And then one day, our lunch fell together at the same time. In our little break room, we sat down and over, both of us had sack lunches. We ended up, talking past when we were supposed to clock back in. And we found this really cool like rift about books that we'd read together and we both liked certain, an author and we had this cool connection. And over the next couple days, I started to talk to Jen and she became a friendship from that point. And at the end of the week, she left this quote and it was on my time card. 
and it said, there is something quietly civilizing about sharing a meal with other people. The simple act of making someone something to eat, even a bowl of soup or a loaf of bread, has a many-layered meaning. It suggests an act of protection and caring, of generosity or intimacy. It is in itself a sign of respect. And I just thought, wow, what a cool, like, that is such a great description, don't you think? Again, there is something quietly civilizing about sharing a meal with other people. The simple act of making someone something to eat, even a bowl of soup or a loaf of bread, has a many-layered meaning. It suggests an act of protection, caring, generosity, or intimacy. It is in itself a sign of respect. And if you just think about Jesus' most crowning moment, the night before he would be crucified, what he does is he sits down with his 12 disciples and he has a meal with them. And he says, this meal is supposed to signify the good news that is where I am here. And the whole idea was that in one simple meal with those guys, and with the many simple meals he had with the tax collectors, with the prostitutes, with the different guys, the wealthy, the poor, the different people he would sit down and have meals with, he was bringing peace with God. That's what he was offering him. He was saying, you know what, I'm here because I'm going to offer a chance for you to have peace with God. Romans 5.1, it's, it's one of the, my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. It says that he came so that we could have peace with God through his death and resurrection. That through Jesus Christ, we could have peace with God. And I need to constantly remember that because in my closing quote, Thomas Merton, he, to me, it was the greatest summation ever. He says, we cannot be at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we cannot be at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. And it's like, ah, I find that all the time. When I'm not at peace with God, then I'm not at peace with my wife. And then I'm ultimately not at peace with my friends at work and different things. And then I'm not at peace with myself. So it always begins really not with Kyle, but it begins with God. Amen? So, maybe well, we're going to close in prayer. And, you know, it's just, a, I, I'd hope tonight, like, man, it's a little chance to see friendship from a bigger perspective. It is a chance to see friendship as it was redeemed. That's the word again and again that Jesus has used about Jesus, was that he came to redeem, to fix that which was broken. He was, came to fix that which had been distorted or molded in a wrong way. Or, and man, that's exciting news, at least to me. Unfortunately, it's like I have so many different friendships out there that I've destroyed over the years. I love the idea that somehow he's going to fix them. That somehow if I can get to a position of peace with him, that man, I'm going to have peace with those people that I've hurt and ultimately find peace with myself.